Well, hey everyone, it's Jason here. You're hearing the sounds of Vancouver in the background as I'm on my way to the office. And I want to send a note just before we jump into today's episode, just to express gratitude to all those who give to the work of CC Line. Like you might not know this, but we are able to do this podcast, programs for pastors and leaders, gatherings across our country because of generous donors. And sometimes that's individuals, sometimes it's foundations, some of it's partner churches, churches that are saying, we want to strengthen pastors. And so we want to resource the work of CCLN to be able to do that. And I also want to ask that you would consider partnering in our work. We can't do this without partners. And we want to go after encouraging pastors and strengthen church in Canada with our whole might. And to do that, we need help. And so I want to invite you to consider giving today. You can find out more information at ccln.ca slash give. Tons of love. I'm excited about what God's doing in our country. And we're longing to link arms with more and more people who want to strengthen pastors to lead to healthy churches that bring transformation to cities across the nation of Canada. Okay, I hope you enjoy today's episode. It's the Lord that's going to harvest. It's the Lord that's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant not good and faithful CEO or good and faithful lead, whatever, or good and like it's servant. Can it be small? Can I be insignificant? Am I okay with that? Welcome everyone to this week's episode on the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jaden here. We hope that you are well. Today, we have Joyce Reese with us. We have been so, so excited to share this conversation with you. Now, from the window that different members of our team have had into Joyce's life and her ministry, I really think the best way to describe her is that she is someone who constantly calls people back to the main stuff. Jesus's words just so clearly live deeply in Joyce's heart. So you can't sit down with her without feeling compelled to love the poor, become a servant of people, and to live your life like you're actually going to answer to the Lord one day. So you'll hear those kinds of themes in the upcoming interview, but Jason and Joyce also spent time talking about the impact that Joyce had on Jason's life as a teenager, why it's important to lead out of your unique personality and not to copy-paste other people's way of doing ministry. They also talk about taking discipleship seriously in the home and how normal and everyday that is and needs to be. And then Jason and Joyce spent ample time at the end of the interview, moving through the unique movements of her ministry journey, which are so moving. Now, in case you don't know Joyce, let me tell you a little bit about her. She has been a pastor for over 30 years. She and her husband, Callum, are currently serving as the lead pastors of Epic Vineyard Church, a beautiful, multi-generational, diverse community in Calgary, Alberta. But before moving to Calgary with her family, Joyce was the founding director of Jacob's Well, a Christian community serving Vancouver's downtown east side, also known as the poorest postal code in Canada. She talks a little bit about that. And during that decade living and working there, Joyce also planted Strathcona Vineyard Church. And if that all wasn't enough, Joyce has also spent the bulk of her time in ministry, traveling and sharing about the kingdom all over Canada. All that to say, Joyce is an incredible well of wisdom and experience, and we're so thankful that we got to sit down with her and that we get to share this conversation with you today. Now, before we jump in, here's a quick word from our friends at the Canadian Bible Society, then we'll hear from Jason and Joyce. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at the Canadian Bible Society. We want to highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course, a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's Word in a deeper way. The Bible Course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of Scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're currently running that. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse. Well, Joyce, it's really special to be with you. Thanks for making time to hang out with us today. I'm delighted. Oh, I'm so, so glad great. you're here. Joyce, I have a memory. Mm. Um, I couldn't have been much older than 16 years old. My faith was just getting really serious. And I was like having like this revival in my little heart wanting to reach my friends. And I ended up somehow 
at a conference in Alberta and I didn't know these existed. There was like 10,000 kids or 8,000 oh, or a million yeah. in a room. <laughs> and I didn't know about it. It was like, it was overwhelming. Um, Cause I just didn't know these things existed. I just didn't grow right. up in a church that went to conferences. And there was like big bands that like seemed like people knew, but I wasn't aware of and they're going crazy. And then there's like big preachers that just like hyping the crowd. I didn't know about these kind of preachers. And then you got up to speak and it, <laughs> it impacted me in such a profound way. Like I, wow. I can't explain it, Joyce. Like I never will forget hearing you speak at that conference as a teenager because you got up there in this massive room and you talked in the same volume voice that you would with a friend across the table. And you told yeah. the most dignifying stories of people you've met and learned from and the way God was at work in Vancouver. And I was living in the suburbs of Vancouver and I loved where mm. I lived. And so to see a woman like you just tell these stories, but what impacted me was the power of God in the room. Yeah. This is obvious, was just as profound as when people were yelling. Right. But that really impacted me and forever I've had this in the back of my head like, oh, you can actually just talk and tell stories and the spirit of God, and it's obvious, but like yeah. that was really life-changing for me. So I just wanted to yeah. start by thanking oh, you for I setting that, that example. I that Jason, I don't know uh, what year that would have been, um, guessing a while ago and guessing in Edmonton. Yeah, that's right. And um, if it's the conference I'm thinking of, a lot of people wouldn't know this backstory, but... <laughs> It's an irony. Um, I was in debilitating back pain that day mm. and was laid out on the floor behind the scenes. Mm. And the guy who was running the conference came to me and he was like, are you going to be able to go on? And I said, come hell or high freaking water. <laughs> I'm going out there. The Lord will do it. And um, when the time came, they just said, you're, you're up. So somebody helped me stand up and I went out. And when I stepped out to speak all the pain left. Wow. And um, I had learned something. I was maybe uh, quite a bit younger. <laughs> if you were a teenager, I was a bit younger. Um, but I had this feeling of like a long obedience in the same direction, just borrow from Peterson, who borrowed from Nietzsche, but like just be faithful. And whatever the thing is that the Lord's put in front of you, do it. But I could never, I could never do the vibe. So I actually love that you could describe that. I just talked like I was, you know, maybe sitting over a counter with someone. I can't really do the hype. I still can't. I don't. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing when someone's excited and they yeah. bring a different kind of flavor, but it's never been my way. And mm -hmm. I've trusted that the Lord would take the little things really believe in the mustard seed kingdom, you know, you just sow what you have, whether it's stories mm. or experiences of God and a lot of prayer. And then the Holy Spirit will do whatever He's going to do. And mm. that's not up to us. Our, we just play our part. Mm. Oh, I was really, it's, it is interesting how those little moments where mm. things stand out. And I don't know if I had like language for it at that yeah. age, but right. there, it was so different. And, and, you know, I love that you said, there, there, of course, I'm not trying to make a, a dig at preachers that yell because I, that fires me up too. And often that's very sincere from either their culture or their tradition right, or their, their own, they're passionate. Yeah. I think what I saw in you was you being distinctly you. And I felt mm. in my heart like, oh, maybe there's a way for me to be distinctly me. Right. That feels okay. And that's yeah. just been my journey of like kind of taking off the, you know, I'm 34 now. I've been sort of doing things like that since 16. Yeah. Trying to take off the sort of, some people use like the Saul's armor metaphor, but taking off the armor that doesn't fit me. Yeah. And then trying to just be the unique thing that yeah. God called me to be. And for some reason, that moment early in my story was like a, it's really a point to cool. come back to. I love it. And so um, thanks for letting me indulge that little memory. Oh, that's neat. I had no clue. It's a fun connection. Mm -hmm. um, you're in Calgary now leading a church called Epic Vineyard. What I love to do is I'd love to hear a little bit about Epic Vineyard. And then, and then after that, I want to rewind and just yeah. hear a little bit of your story that led sure. to where you are now. So give us a little window into your world <laughs> in Calgary, family, church yeah. life, some of the things going on. It's really special to hear about. Okay. Um, well, our family moved to Calgary from the Lower Mainland um, eight years ago. And we came to a, a vineyard community that had been in existence for about 12 years and had never really had formal um, pastor leadership. They'd had pastors, 
but they had all chosen to work bivocationally and kind of do the church plant in their free time. And you know how easy that is after something starts to get going. And then over time, it had grown, mushroomed, and then it had shrunk. And they were at a place where they were like, do we keep going? They were about maybe 35 adults and about 12 kids at that time. Is it time to like kind of call it quits? There's obviously beautiful other expressions of the body of Christ in this city. Or do we, do we call someone to bring some pastoral leadership in ways that the rest of us can't invest because the things that we're doing is uh, they were they were just actually going really well, missional business and not for profit work, and um, so it wasn't sort of their failing, but they were victims of their own success in another way. So we came, and mm. it was really like a, a full reboot. Um, I have the privilege. My husband Callum and I co-pastor together, and that's a great big surprise for me because. I didn't even marry him until I was 35, so I'd already pastored a long time. And then he wasn't a pastor when I married him. He was doing a lot of worship stuff globally and training the church, the big C. But um, people would know him more behind a drum kit hmm. than, um, yeah, than the lead pastor role. But we'd started co-pastoring at the coast and then decided we would step in and do this lead role together. And I think... You know, we knew it was going to be a bit of like a full reboot and maybe a little bit challenging like a church plant, which I have mm. done. But I didn't realize how arduous that church planting reality was going to be and actually something that already has an identity and is kind of um, entrenched but then grows exponentially it makes it a little hard between yeah. the old and the new and mm. not in bad ways, but like a good kind of challenge, a learning challenge because yeah. it's different than any other context I've pastored. It's my sixth church. And um, over these eight years, we've seen an average of about a 30% growth rate annually. So mm. we've got um, a lot of kids and youth, mm. like like a third of our congregation. Wow. So that's been really refreshing. And the Lord spoke to us. I mean, I don't know how much detail you want, but when we got here, the Lord gave us a strategy that made zero sense uh, in the natural. You wouldn't read it in any sort of church growth, how-to. You wouldn't take it in a course. Um, but we knew it was the Holy Spirit spoke to our hearts that we were to prioritize the spiritual formation of children in the life mm. of the church, that that was the most important thing that we would do. And wow. none of us, neither of us are like particularly... Um, I mean, we love kids, but we're not trained or skilled in pedagogy for children. Um, right. So we just started thinking, okay, well, how will we do that? And then we'd learned from a good friend who's a children's pastor to parallel teach what you teach the adults, teach the kids mm. at an age appropriate level. And so we didn't buy curriculum. We just started, this is what we're doing. And then we started building teams and a way of teaching the same content at age appropriate level to kids. And that sparked conversations, discipleship conversations in families because everyone was learning the same things right. and, you know, subversive nature of the work of God. He would get the kids saying something to the parents that would make the teaching drop deeper hmm. than maybe, you know, if I was teaching that day. So that that started to create, I don't know, some real traction hmm. in terms of health and the intergenerationality to this day. If you were to come and visit... Um, that's the thing most people notice is how intergenerational our, our community is, how um, children are fully formed followers of Jesus, not half Christians or like kind of becoming or not seen. They are uh, kids and youth. You almost every week, almost every week, at least some kids or youth are helping serve communion. Wow. They might be speaking on a microphone, helping lead in worship. Um, uh, there's a host of ways. So wow. that's unique. I think we have a long way to go in, in lots of other ways. Um, it was part of a symposium a couple of years ago on multicultural church development and really want to learn how to help us become much more ethnically diverse um, but, you know, the vineyard roots are in Southern California and the hippie movement. And so 
you, you just can feel that. You can come mm. to a vineyard church and you just go, oh, the sort of singer-songwriter vibe. You could expect mm-hmm. people to be barefoot on a beach. And um, <laughs> that's in our history, but that, does, that doesn't make it better or more spiritual. And quite frankly, it's pretty Caucasian mm. um, kind of vibe. So if we want to grow in diversity, then we might have to have some different sounds or some different mm. ways of being as a community that would create that kind of welcome, that kind of diversity. So we're growing. But somebody said something so smart to me in the symposium. In one of the breakout rooms, they said, well, like, if I know anything about your church, you're, you're really intergenerational. And I was like, yeah, uniquely so. And mm. so they said, well, why don't you just apply what the Lord told you to do to grow that kind of diversity, to grow ethnic diversity? Mm. And so we've been trying to imagine how that could work. And it seems to be taking hold. And I guess the last thing you maybe would know um, is, you know, if you're going to develop kids, for instance, it's going to grow into a youth group. So now we have a fairly vibrant youth group. And, but along the way, Callum and I just, I don't know, we figure we're going to be 80 with a house full of young adults. Like it's just the thing God's put on us. We love young leaders Hmm. and we don't love to just like sort of I don't know, downward relate or like, hi, I have all the wisdom that you need. But like, we actually love the gifts in them and calling that Mm. forward. And so probably that's another piece that's kind of unique is that, you know, I, I think at one point we had 18 on the preaching team. So if you came to our community, you wouldn't, it kind of makes people mad sometimes because they think, oh, I'm going to go there so I can hear Joyce preach. And right, right. I would way rather develop many, many voices to teach the Word of God. and mm. So you see those kinds of things. Callum would yeah. do the same in worship. And, oh, I love And now we have, we have two boys. I didn't mention that. But yeah, how old are your kids? Uh, they are 13 and 11. Mm. It feels like 18 and 20. <laughs> the kind of stage they're at in terms of what they think about and Mm. uh, yeah the wrestle and they're being formed in this community which is really neat as in the timing of how we're recording this tomorrow um we are doing a conversation live with pastors across canada Hmm. with um a gentleman called daryl johnson and everyone registered yeah he's just yeah he's one of my very favorite preachers me too. I just think, and I love him as a man. Anyways, I digress. I, I knew him you, through my if you wanna, days. If you want to talk about Daryl, nothing makes me happier than a good long tangent Can I on Daryl Johnson. Tell you one Daryl story. Yes, please. Okay, this is so good. So, well, I'll tell you too. One of my friends, when I was in my late twenties or early thirties, I must have been in my early thirties, said, "You know, who's vetting any of the stuff you say? Like, do you have anybody older speaking in?" And he was like, "What if?" Like, what if what you're preaching is heresy? Right. <laughs> we were, this is, these are questions we ask ourselves when you're preaching right. young. Totally. And we were both in um, graduate school studying at Regent. And so he was just like, maybe you need to like run it past somebody. Like, maybe Daryl Johnson is a good guy to like run it past. So I said, I don't know him. And he was like, well, I can introduce you. So we went and had a meeting. This is how I met Daryl. And Daryl, being very gracious, he's such a gracious and humble man, said he would be willing to listen to some recordings. Of course, they were cassette tapes Yeah. Um, back in the day. But sometimes when you go away to preach somewhere, they would give you like a box set of whatever you'd done. And so I gave Daryl one of these collections from a conference I'd done. And I never meant for him to like listen to all 13 hours. I just thought like, Pick one that you want to listen to and see what you think. So he was going to the Philippines to do something, and he said he would meet with me when I got back. So Mm. I went in to meet with him, and he said, I listened to all of it, and I will not touch this with a 10-foot pole. And I was like, okay. Like, I was worried that I was, like, way out of line. Right. And he was like, no, Joyce. He said, you hear from the Holy Spirit, and you preach the way the Spirit has created you to preach. And if I got too invested here, I would make you into me. And you're not mm. meant to be me. You're supposed to wow. preach the way Jesus has wired you to preach. And he said, just to be clear, there's no, like if I follow it through to its conclusion, there's no heresy. So you're good. Like mm. it's theologically sound and uh, unique. It's your own way. Wow. And so I just, I felt really like thankful. And I was glad I had the courage to give it to him. But I also mm-hmm. was 
I learned something from him in terms of now, right? Like yeah, how I invest with others and not wanting to, even when I teach, I teach homiletics a little bit at Ambrose Seminary. And I try really hard not to turn people into me when they preach. That comes directly from Daryl. The right. other thing, I'll tell you this, this actually happened. Pastoring is like not for the faint of heart. I think all the people listening know this. It's tough. (laughs) And it can be a really crappy gig some days. Yeah. So one time, this only ever happened to me once, but I had to do a wedding in the morning out in the valley, in the Fraser Valley, and I had to do a funeral um, at St. John's Shaughnessy in the afternoon. Mm. And I was just like, you know, who does this? Like from joy to the depths of sorrow in the same day. And it was my good friend, Susan, who'd been the chairman of the board at Jacob's Well, who had died. And mm. I knew she was Anglican, so kind of more high church. Um, we were an ecumenical community. But she had been very clear with her husband that part of her dying wishes was that I would preach the homily mm. at her funeral. But I was super intimidated because it's like, sure, it's all, it's, high church and there's all these regent people and I just knew there would be many clergy members in the congregation and I felt vulnerable and I knew I was going from wedding to funeral so even what I would wear so um, I called Daryl and I said Daryl do you have any robes I can wear because Daryl and I had done a wedding together and he brought me this beautiful stole that had been commissioned by the Church of Scotland and stitched by Palestinian refugees. It was powerful. Like, I put that thing on. I don't, I'm not high church, but I put that thing on for this wedding, and I experienced something of the power of God just wearing wow. this cloth. So then I thought, I'm going to ask Daryl. Daryl might be able to help me. So he's like, absolutely. He gave me options. One of my friends went picked up a couple of different robes. So I thought, then I can just wear what I need to wear for the wedding, and be hidden, in a sense, for the funeral. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, he called me. He was like, okay, top tip, because, you know, we're not the same size exactly. But, like, he said, what you want to do is get some elastic bands and put them around the cuffs and then shove it right up to your elbows. So That's it's a good tight. tip. That's a good tip. And then it'll hang normal. Yeah. And he sent some stoles, some options for me. Well, I felt like I could be hidden and do the thing that I was there to do for my dear friend Susan and... It was powerful, but I felt like I really am friends with Daryl. I can Mm. ask if I can borrow his clothes. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I am one of the joys of getting to know Daryl. And I'm going to find our way back to every one of the tangents. I'm going to pull it. It's going to happen. Like we're (laughs) we're two or three down. It's good. I'm going to find our way back. Listeners, don't worry. I'll do my best. Um, But one of the joys has been because he's such a good preacher, people know his public ministry and his books, and that makes sense. But what's stunning is like the amount of people who've been impacted in those private, like the private, no one knows, but I called and, or he was behind the scenes helping me through. And the amount of pastors, leaders who are changing the world right now that have like a a quiet, maybe unpromoted friendship with Daryl that's strengthening them behind the scenes and often pulling people back to the most important things, honoring Jesus, scripture, Um, living a yeah, life Yeah, he's of definitely prayer. imprinted people in the most healthy and helpful ways. He's um, really involved with the work we're doing with CCL and he yeah. kind of serves as a bit of a, you know, we're not a church and we're not, we're just a, we're just trying to resource churches and we're not a denomination. So yeah. nothing like that, but he kind of serves as a pastoral guide for the work we're doing, wow. sort of the theological plumb line of what we're doing as well. And, you know, we were together with some of the people in one of our programs, some young pastors and Daryl was speaking and he walked out of the room and I leaned to one of the other pastors who I'm in the program with. And I just said, cause it just became clear again, like what we're talking about, the life he's living. Mm. Like we have a decision now to build a ministry or build a life. And Daryl built a life, yeah. you know, like a, a person that can have, that God can use in these un, like not like it just in this very special way. And I just, that's, that's the gift of, and I think that there's something about at least the type of church environment I grew up around, um, not my church itself, but just the momentum of conferences and events that goes build mm. a ministry, build a ministry. And I, I'm, I love building thoughtful strategic plans to impact a city and multiply churches. 
but this invitation to build a life, like who are you becoming in Christ? And I've just learned that through Daryl the most going, oh, if I tend to my soul, my family, and my walk with God, yeah, um, God will build the ministry, I guess. Yeah, that's what matters most. And um, That's good. Really good, Jason. And this, it's wisdom for all of us. And uh, a good litmus test, you know, just to have to ask yourself, you know, where the bulk of my energy is going. Yeah. And obviously you put a lot of time into your vocation. That's normal. But um, if your identity is too tethered, yeah. then you have a, a way of knowing, ah, I'm a little out of kilter here. Yeah. Here's the thread. I was saying that because we were ch- you're chatting about your two kiddos mm. and uh, we're doing this gathering on Thursday recording with you today so tomorrow we're doing this gathering with daryl and everyone who registered maybe 150 people registered or so Mm -hmm. um put in the form a question and then the team collated all the questions and said here are the the biggest themes and one of the biggest themes that came up interestingly and this isn't always the case but interestingly was about raising kids and family while leading a church wow and so that's what i'm going to ask daryl about tomorrow, but I wanted to just, as you're reflecting on um, forming fully formed disciples and children in your church, but then also in your home, I just would love to hear from you, Joyce, like reflections as you think about while you're ministering, while you're leading the church, while you're doing those things, what are the challenges? What's the cost and what are the opportunities? Yeah. What just just let us into sort of your thinking on, on what it means for your kids. Well, I would never want to spend my life discipling others at the detriment of not discipling my sons. Mm. So, you know, sometimes people ask me questions like, how do you do that? And I think how it's always been done. Like discipleship is dialogue. It's shared life. It's the highs and the lows. It's the, the Emmaus road. Um, that is the journey. It's the breaking bread. It's all the time. So I don't have any like formal, like, here's the steps, or these are the family rhythms, or whatever. Um, You know, I was out for a walk with my older boy yesterday, and he's a unique kid, so we're talking about uh, theories of density, um, science, and he was explaining to me, oh, Archimedes, something rather, and I was like, oh, okay, good to know. (laughs) Like... You're 13 and you're already blowing my mind with your science knowledge. Then we were talking about acting because he's interested in pursuing some acting. And he's a pretty quiet kid, so this is a big surprise to us that he's got this in him, this art sort of side. And so I just said, yeah, you know, if you're going to get a job, it doesn't matter what job. Like you could get a job dishwashing at Joey's restaurant around the corner or you can go into the film industry. But it's a risk, right? You're going to bump up against people and dad and I aren't going to always be around. And so as you begin that journey, we want to ask the Lord to open or close doors. And we talked about inviting the Holy Spirit on that journey of starting work and what that would look like and how he has to learn the difference between anxiety, which he struggles with a bit, and discernment. Sometimes the mm. Lord might be actually trying to help you discern something like, this isn't good, or don't do this, or don't don't let these people influence you in these ways. So we're having that kind of a conversation. And then at dinner, my husband brings it up because he, he and I had talked, and he was like, you know, I don't do this all the time, but I think it's important at this juncture as a family, because I have a call today with a potential agent for him. He said, I think it's important at this juncture, whether you're going to get a dishwashing job or you're going to have a conversation over here, like we probably need to pray. And so we all had time just to pray as a family. And Mm. um, two days earlier, maybe Saturday, I had said to him, so tomorrow you're going to really need to listen to the sermon. And I know it sucks that your mom is the preacher and you probably wish sometimes you had someone else, you have a youth pastor, but But you're going to need to listen to the sermon. But the most important thing that you need to know is I did not write this sermon for you. It just happens to be where we are. Mm. And he was like, what? And then the next day I said something about it again. We were on our way to church and I said, do you remember what I said to you about the sermon today? And he said, yeah, it's not directed at me. And I said, it is not directed at you. You will feel it. It will pinch because I know your life. 
but it is not at you. It's at all of us, mom included. And you can't preach James. We're in the book of James. You cannot preach James and not have it get right on the ground in real life. And so it's James is like a good clock in the chops to all of us, Yeah, I think. Um, but I knew this, this was going to be a little bit of a challenge. So for me, long-winded answer maybe to your question, Jason, it's that. It's as recent as yesterday on a walk with the dog. Mm-hmm. It's as recent as Saturday, getting ready to go into Sunday. It's, it's the all the time. Um, trying to teach my 11-year-old, he asked me if we could have intentional conversations about God. Hmm. And I was like, yes, we can. Because he said, I realized, like, I kind of just am absorbing all this stuff, but, like, I actually have questions. Hmm. And so I realized, oh, I was hoping he was catching a lot more of it. Like, hmm. we in the vineyard, we often say, yeah, a lot is better caught than taught. So you kind of come alongside, do what I do, see what I do. And we always fold our kids in what we call ministry time. It's the way we listen to the Holy Spirit. We respond to the gifts of the Spirit. And um, we fold our kids in on that all the time. So they know how to pray for the sick. I can barely complain about anything. And someone in my family will offer to lay hands and pray. Hmm. Then if it doesn't take, they'll go get the Advil, you know. Um But I realized here's a boy who got baptized. He really, really wants to follow the Lord, but he also has big questions. It's pretty Mm. normal coming of age. I mean, you probably read um, the Hemorrhaging Faith Study. Yeah. Um, Reg Bibby put that out with a few others. Um, Really important Canadian study, if any of your listeners haven't clocked it. It's a little old now. Um, Yeah. But super important. And what they suspected was that the bleed out of the church, the hemorrhage, was when kids went to university. Yeah. And the big shock um, was that it's actually grade six. Mm. Um, If a student had relationship with two people, two adults in their church community who were not related to them, who knew them enough to know their name and something about them, like they're into... Pokemon or ice skating or whatever, if they knew something about them and knew them by name, they retain their faith in their adult life. That Mm. is a shocking statistic Um, sociologically that that's all it took was a tiny bit of belonging and acknowledging, knowing. So I'm realizing my son is in grade six and he's 11 years of age and he's asking these big sort of um, overarching spiritual formation questions. I think as pastors, if, I mean, it's what you said about the life on the ground with your family, with the Lord, your own inner life instead of building the ministry. Um, But you're going to see some dividends in your family, I think, if that's the orientation is we want to steward what we've been given really, really well. Mm. They're treasures to me, my boys. Mm. I can't make them follow the Lord, but I sure want them to. Yeah. I pray, um, I pray for my kids, obviously, in a certain way. But for other pastors' kids, I don't think I pray. If it wasn't for the Psalms, I'd never think I could talk to God this way. Hmm. But I just feel just like, Lord, you got to hold our kids, you know? Yeah. Because we're all just so, we're all so aware of our brokenness. And I love that you said there's no 10 top tips to give. And if yeah. there were, I'll take them. And, and <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are some great best practices. And I hear in you time and intentionality and space. Hmm. Um, but I just like for every pastor listening, for your kids, my kids' choice, it's like, Lord, have just just keep yeah. your promises for the next generation and, and their yeah. kids too, you know. And I just feel that it's just always, it's just, um, yeah. Well, and I think I'll throw one more thing in. I think yeah. sometimes in ministry we are taught to perform whether it's by intention or just uh, we absorb it, like get your game face on. So you've just been, you know, super stressed. Maybe there's been some yelling (laughs) and then Mm. there you are and you have to get up and do whatever part you have to play and say a worship gathering or, um, and there's a fine line between being um, authentic with the people you're leading and, letting your mess bleed all over the place, right? So do they need to know that you just yelled at your kids? Maybe, maybe not. But the most important thing is that we would be authentic 
So, yeah, I think I think it's really, really critical because if yeah. our kids witness us being authentic instead of performing, yeah. they're going to know what the really deep-rooted life in Jesus is supposed to look like, mm. whether they choose to go into ministry or not. If all they've witnessed is performing yeah. and they feel like there's a lack of authenticity between what's who we really are and who we are in the workplace— that dissonance will do absolutely long arc damage. Yeah, yeah. So living a congruent life, I think, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, um, an equivalently important piece of the discipleship process because they're watching. So it's not so much like, did I disciple them to know how to pray for people? Have I taught them what surrender means? Or are, are they baptized? Or, you know, these kinds of things. You could have your, these are the most important discipleship things. I don't know what everyone else's list is, but um, there's the passive and the active. And I think sort of subversively, the passive discipleship matters as much as the active discipleship. Mm. And by that, what they are observing in our lives. Do my kids ever catch me just reading the Bible? I mm. sure hope so. Do they find me praying or worshiping in the car? <laughs> yes. Uh, do they know that I would drop anything for a person that's suffering? Mm. Yes. A couple mm. years ago, it was Mother's Day, and we were at lunch, and my husband said to my boys, it's Mother's Day, they might not have prepared much, but he said, you know, mom might like a couple of words. So what would you like to say to mom? And my youngest, who was about nine, said, well, if you were to die today, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> At least I would know that you always love the poor. That's the most important thing to you, mom. And I thought, mm, yeah. all right, there you go. That's so good. So that that passive quiet watching of our life matters mm. as much as the overt active discipling, I think. Mm. Anyway, I digress. Thanks for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. Um, let's rewind a bit more in your story. You can go as far mm. back as you want, but I'd love to hear some of the plot points that you, you mentioned, like, you know, you've been part of a number of churches, you've planted work in Vancouver. And mm. um, I know that we have some we have a church in Langley in common, both part yeah. of our ministry journeys. And we were there yeah. at the same time, but friends in common. But can you just yeah. tell us a little bit about, because it's so interesting how God leads people into ministry, but then also forms their ministry convictions through yeah. different sort of pit stops along the way. Yeah. I mean, the snapshots um, that I think matter most are, you know, I, I sometimes talk about the five points of conversion in my life. Like I... Hmm. Paul says you are saved, being saved, and you will be saved. And I actually really believe in that sozoing kind of process on that forward arc of my life. I think I'm still being saved. Um, and I am, but I am I will be. Do you know? Yeah. So I think my my going into ministry is deeply tethered to a sozoing experience. Um, the Greek word meaning to be healed or to be delivered or to be transformed or to be saved. It's for the now, not just for the life to come. And so I don't have time to maybe unpack this all today, um, but I had a broken back in high mm. school and I was radically healed. And this was uh, a really shaking moment mm. for me to experience absolute physical healing. Uh, of course, I have ongoing things that are not healed um, in my life, but that was, it, wow. there was a line of demarcation drawn. There was no kind of, oh, it didn't happen. It happened. ICBC investigated it. It's the insurance corporation in British Columbia. We were in a four-year process. It went all the way to the minister of transportation. It was wow. written on the documents, faith healed by the power of God. Wow. So I know my story was like other in that mm -hmm. moment, but I feel like that's when I volunteered for ministry. So a little like Isaiah, here am I, send me. It was like, I realized I had been a churchgoer. I'd been a pew warmer. I'd been kind of one foot in the world, one foot in the church. Maybe what John the Revelator would have called being lukewarm. And either this, hot or cold, <laughs> you know, the warning comes from the Spirit. And so I had this awakening, like, I will be a real Christian, from this moment forward, I knew I'd encountered God. And 
So I didn't know what to do, obviously, went to Bible school and did the things that I thought were the right steps. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that I went to Bible college to become, uh, I thought I was going to be a choral conductor, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> like, no one now, people are like, so you married a musician? Like, are you musical? And I think, kind of, but not like him. Where did you um, get the image of a choral conductor? Like, what was the influence who there? Who knows? I, I grew up with, my stepdad was a classical composer and... So I grew up with a lot of kind of yeah. high music, and I loved music, and I just thought that seemed really, like, powerful. Yeah, <laughs> like come on. up. And, but I got there, and I wrote the theory exam, and I wiped out. Like, they were like, no, you don't have enough theory. You're going to have to do private tutoring for a year, and then you can enter the program. But that's okay because the first year is pretty general. I aced the Bible entrance exam, and they wanted to know why I had cheated. Mm. which I, I hadn't. I just knew the Bible really well. I got a weird brain, remember all the things. Plus, I grew up without TV, so what else was I going to do? <laughs> anyway, um, I started studying theology, and it was like somebody lit a fire in me. Like, mm. So then, accidentally, I was on a pastoral track, mm. mostly just because I was interested in the theology. And... Um, I'm still like, you know, in my bones, I'm a theologian. I actually really am. That's how my, my I'm wired. But I always want to make the deep theology easily accessible for everyday people. So I, I feel like I'm a translator. That's what I do is mm. I'm trying to take, yeah, the, the bedrock things of God in Scripture revealed to people and then make it like get right on the ground in our everyday life. So you came out of college and I ended up, yeah, in Langley at CLA, and I was in college, actually, when I went and volunteered, and they said, you can either go and help in the missions department or the youth department, and I went to youth, mm -hmm. and they gave me a grade nine Sunday school class that no one wanted because they were really bad, <laughs> and um, I didn't know what I was doing. I think I was 19, wow. so I went that first week and just asked, what do they want out of Sunday school, and they said, Timbits. Very Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted Timbits and coffee. They were going to be grown-ups, basically. And they didn't need any Sunday school. They'd been in church since they were three. And a lot of these kids, their parents went to the first service. They went to Sunday school, and then they went home. This is the only church they were getting. And so I was like, okay. Uh, so we had all lifers except one kid who started when he was in preschool. Everyone else had been in the church. Wow. So I thought, great. I said, I'll, I'll take it under advisement and we'll come back next week. The following week I showed up and I gave them an exam. 66 questions, multiple guests, all of them, on the book of Genesis only. And I said, if even half of you pass, we'll have Timbits till the end of the year. Well, Jason, you know what happened. Like the, the average mark was 14%. One kid passed, he got 52 and he cried because he'd never had anything lower than a 90. And they realized that they didn't know anything. Wow. And so this was a year of discipleship, and all we did was the book of Genesis. And I was winging it. Like, I didn't mm. really know what I was doing, but I had a deep love for the Word of God, and I wanted to get it on the ground for these kids. Yeah. And by the following spring, we'd outgrown the classroom. We'd outgrown the hallway. We were out on the lawn. Mm. I think we ended up with just over 70 kids in that class. You wow. couldn't keep kids away. Wow. So then I knew, okay, maybe I have a teaching gift, right? Mm. It was kind of by accident. So yeah. I volunteered and I discovered I can teach this stuff. And that arc led me, my whole life is spent on the Big C Church. Yes, I pastor a local and I do some things for our Denom, but really... My investment is the Big C Church, and it's to make disciples. That's I'm an Ephesians 4 pastor teacher, if there ever was one, to equip them to do the works of service, not do the works of service for them. So in that process, I've you know done conference speaking, and I've planted, and I've run a not-for-profit in the downtown east side for a decade, and all of that came out of this deep desire to listen to the Spirit of God and do what He says. And at every juncture, people have told me I'm wrong. Mm. So when I left CLA after seven years, people said, oh, no, 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 like young people need you and, right. you know, um, you're going to go preach across the country and like no one knows who you are. You haven't even preached at CLA. What would make you think you can go preach to the country? And but I'd heard the Lord. Hmm. So I thought, oh, it's either Jesus or it's something wrong with me. 
but I think this is what he said I'm supposed to do. And there was some real good God story moments where it was obvious. And I had four years doing that, and I felt like I was supposed to go to seminary. And then I got sat down like seminary, cemetery, and you'll lose your faith and don't do it. And even to the point where really godly people I respected told me that it was idolatry to invest in the mind like that. Mm. And I thought, no, I actually feel like it's the leading of the Lord and it's going to help me give more to the church and that theology actually really matters. And so I kind of had to disagree and yeah. and go on that path. And then I was in seminary and I started working in the downtown east side following uh, Pauline Fell, who is a legend. She's gone to glory now, but she planted this community called Jacob's Well in when she was 85 years of age. Hmm. And uh, who does that? I mean, anyway, so I met her at that opening. Someone sent me to the thing to find out if it was a good place for them to give money because they knew I had a heart for the poor. They were going to be out of the country. And I went there, and I'll tell you what, like, I've done a lot of things, and I've been a lot of places, and I'd even been, spent time months in Hong Kong working with people recovering from heroin addiction with Jackie Pullinger's um, crew there called St. Stephen's Society. And I thought I knew what it was like to encounter the Holy Spirit in significant ways in these contexts, but I had never experienced the Holy Spirit like I did at the opening for Wow. Jacob's well. And so I thought, well, I gotta, I gotta investigate this. I was about three weeks well, in. And what to, do you, what do you mean? Like, I sometimes yeah. like, we'll say experience the Holy Spirit. And on one level, I know what you mean, but I'm just curious, like what was, yeah. you're in the room and you're aware of his presence or what was going the, on? This grand opening was the most awkward and awful thing you've ever been to. Like if you were to measure it in terms of like, um, uh, an event yeah. quality, like you would go, this was an abysmal failure. Like the music wasn't very good. Someone's guitar broke. Um, people were lying. Like the testimonies that were coming were not true. And you knew it. Everyone there knew it. And I just thought, this is awkward. It was awkward. And I could feel like, how do I explain it? Like a palpable, heavy, intense uh, something colliding with my senses in the natural, my like my critique didn't line up with what I could feel spiritually in the room. And I thought, the Lord is into this. Wow. Why? <laughs> mm. And I only, I, sometimes I talk about God highlighting. I feel like sometimes God gets out a big yellow highlighter. I, I don't see it physically, literally, but I just notice someone or something, and it won't go away. And it was Pauline. I, mm. I thought, I got to get around that lady. So I asked her, I hear you do a bar crawl every day. Like, can I come with you? <laughs> like, do you do that? Do you take people? So I was 29. She was 85. And she said, oh, yes, dear. Meet me here at noon on Monday, and I'll take you along. And then I met her. And we were going to have a word of prayer before we went out. And she said, do not slow me down. She's 85, and I'm 29. And I was like, okay. And she said, and keep your eyes open. The Holy Spirit doesn't need you to close your eyes when you pray. Keep your eyes open. You got you to gotta see what he's doing and you got to stay safe. And I was like, okay. So we went, you know, out on the street and like, we probably don't have time for me to tell you the whole thing, but the woman knew everyone and people were like confessing to her and she would like interrupt drug deals put her hands on the guys as they're trading and like, guys, God is better for you than this. And I thought, <laughs> she's either crazy or full of the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't, I don't know. So after, like, I got hooked, Jason. Like, mm. I followed her around. I went to school and did what I needed to do, but I followed her around for three straight weeks in and out of, like, the seediest bars. And I watched her do the ministry that I knew we were supposed to be doing, but nobody did. Wow. Because we were waiting for everyone to come to our thing. Even if it was our soup on the corner or our not-for-profit we were running. But Pauline didn't do that. She went where they were, into these mm. bars that were segregated according to race and um, the poverty and the addictions, people out of control. And she loved them and knew them all by name. And she would get them to pray for her. Mm. She was like, my cataracts are really bad. Who's going to pray for me today? And I thought... What is going on? Like, 
it kind of blew up a lot of the, the stuff that I'd seen modeled. So after three weeks, she sat me down in the Carnegie Community Center there at the corner of Maine and Hastings. Pretty famous Canadian intersection, sometimes referred to as pain and wastings. And she said to me, now, dear, I, I think God sent you here to run this place. And I thought, yeah, me too. Wow. And uh, so I had to go and quit seminary. Hmm. I kind of pieced out slowly, but like I'm a dropout. I'm a regent dropout. And people uh, didn't agree with me. They thought, no, no, we know better. Um, you need to write books or you need to stay in school. You need to get this degree. It's going to open doors for you. And some of my profs were disappointed, but could say, well, if it's the leading of the Holy Spirit, like, and then you got to do it. So I guess my point is, Jason, it didn't matter whether I was pastoring in Langley, itinerant preaching, in seminary, with the poor. When I finished in the downtown east side, and I never really thought I was going to finish, but I was about to have a baby, and I knew what I was doing you can't do in a part-time capacity. And I didn't think it was fair to have everybody wait a year while I did mat leave, not knowing what's that going to look like. It was the wisdom of God that I knew I couldn't stay in that seat, in that role. I needed to surrender it. But I had people who I don't even know come to me and tell me that I was out of the will of God, that I should never have married, that I shouldn't have had children, that I was, uh, I'd was i quit my call to the poor. Mm. I mean, the judgment, the things that people said that I had to like go to the Lord with, like, I think you gave me this good man, and I think you gave me these children. I don't think it's either or. But I haven't lost my love for the poor. Connor wouldn't be telling me on Mother's Day mm. the one thing. If you were to die, <laughs> right? So 10 years of my life there. Mm. I planted a church there. Um, that That's forever marked me. Yeah. I always say, get low and get dirty. Mm. And if you're not getting low and getting dirty, you're probably not leading in the way of Jesus. But I, I learned it the most the years in the downtown east side. Mm. So it's not any other context wasn't helpful, but the school of the Holy Spirit is forever. Yeah. So what's he teaching now, right? Or what, you know, there's these hinges in ministry. I've told yeah. the Lord that I would really like to preach until I'm 87. Mm. So I don't care if I pastor until I'm 87. I would like to preach until I'm 87. And if he would give me grace on my life till then, that would be wonderful. I think mm. of Fleming Rutledge's getting close, and um, she's still preaching. So I mm. keep asking the Lord for that. And I don't know why that matters so much to me, but I don't imagine retiring, mm. at least not from that. Oh, I love that. I sure hope you're preaching until you're 87. <laughs> There's a couple of things I'm experiencing while I'm hearing you sort of chat through those plot points. I'll mm. just sort of relay it back to you. One is, it's quite impactful for me. I mean, I'm in the Lower Mainland. You spend a lot of time in the Lower Mainland, but you and I never yeah. connected. I mean, there's a, like personally, yeah. but I have people in my church that I lead with some friends that um, there's some of the ones that are like, you know, there's a healthy ones, the people you're like, if somebody's in trouble, you could send them to their home and they're gonna yeah. get pointed to Jesus. And people who just, there's a fire that's not emotional. It's just a fire that's keep burning, just healthy. And we, we cherish yeah. those as a pastor and, and there's a handful of them. And they point back to those young adult services you described at CLA that yeah. you moved on from as this defining year. So I'm like, so you, in my mind, you can imagine I'm hearing you talk about these moments in your journey that kind of felt sort of haphazard, like I was here and God was doing this thing and then I moved here. But then other things like other mentors in my life that knew you when you were at Jacob's Well would talk about things they learned from you and the women you were right. mentored by. And that impacted my life. So I'm like strangely in the wake of your ministry, mm -hmm. which then I'm hearing you describe how it was often very led by the spirit, not like a strategy or plan. And yep. even some people going, I think you're making the wrong call and you having to do the tough work of going, okay, Lord, I think I'm following you. And then, so I'm, an, I'm a recipient from a distance of the fruit of your ministry mm. and life. And so that means there's many, many more, um, of course. And I just think about the kindness of God, the providence of God working in such imperfect, broken, messy yep. ways. And then also what I'm impacted by is you're describing being in the suburbs, being with grade nine students, being with the poor, then in Calgary, children, older, yeah. all that. And it's like, there can be a temptation of comparison in ministry. 
Yeah. You know, and I feel a lot in Vancouver, you would know what I'm talking about, where it's like, you know, because the neighborhoods def- are so defined by yeah. different sort of markers. And that, that comparison game where is just really, um, it's really destructive in the church. And then I'm just yes. hearing how like what obedience looks like in all these different contexts just speaks of a bigger value set about the kingdom of God, about following yeah. Jesus. That's not just about one specific kind of expression. And that just was really ministering to me hearing you talk yeah. about your story of faithfulness, being outworked mm. in very different contexts. Jason, I appreciate you saying that. I think when I, I look at... Peterson and that long obedience in the same direction, right? Like I'm reading Burning in My Bones. I'll read that again so and again good. and again. And, and again. so beautifully written too, right? Yeah, like Wayne Collier did a beautiful. great job. Yeah. So for me, I look at what am I going to answer to the Lord for? Mm. And that matters more than what I'm going to answer to my board for or my colleagues, my peers. Even uh, I feel very... I feel like success is very, very hollow. Hmm. I think it's a cultural value, not a kingdom one. And the way that the kingdom measures success, Jesus gives these terrible contrasts. If we're really reading them in the gospels of the last being first and the weak being strong and the poor being rich and the least being the greatest and you lose your life to find it. And it's like, it's a kind of math, a kind of way of living that, is so upside down, it makes no sense at all. And it most mm. certainly will not add up to success by the world's standards. So if I ever looked like I was being too successful, I think I might be scared. Mm. But that doesn't mean it isn't hard. That there are times that I thought, you know, have, I, have we made a mistake? <laughs> mm. Have I made a mistake? Yeah. Um, and all I can then offer to the Lord is, I'm trying my very best to listen, to obey, to steward my life, to pour it out as a drink offering. Maybe I'm pouring too fast. Maybe I've poured it in a useless place. Maybe there's, you know, um, okay, can I come back to the book just for one second? Peterson's unpacking some discouragement in around 1988. And he's basically prayed for 300 to show up to the worship gathering and 4,500 in the offering. And Wynn's describing it the way he's writing, all pastors are worried about the numbers of people and the money. And I am not a pastor who doesn't have to worry about those things, especially Mm -hmm. post-pandemic or in this whatever we're, are we in it, not in it? I don't know. (laughs) Um, But there's a part where I go, I want God to do the good math on my life and no one else. I don't even want to do the math on my life. I want God to do the math on mm. my life. And I'm not going to know um, all the the wake that you've described. Like every so once in a while, I get a little glimpse. But for, for the most part, um, apart from someone like you stumbling across my path and saying the kind things that you just did, I I don't know if it's effective. I don't know what the fruit is, but it's not up to me. I'm not the one that does the harvesting. Mm. Really, on my life, it's the Lord that's going to harvest. It's the Lord that's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, not good and faithful CEO or good and faithful lead, whatever, or good and like it's servant. It's the end of the day. That's the math he's doing is the posture of my heart. Can I get down, get low and get dirty? And can it be small? Can I be insignificant? Am I okay with that? Can I be forgotten? I got married and changed my last name. And regularly I hear stories of people who are I remember you, like I remembered you said some things and I, I knew you were a woman and I knew you were young and I, but then I found out your name and I didn't even recognize it. And, hmm. um, I think that's okay. Like I'll just stay hidden. I actually feel like the fruitfulness or the, the fragrance maybe is the way to describe it hmm. of my life as an offering will be greater if I actually am hidden. But that's a costly way to live. And I'm on your CCLN podcast, so maybe I'm not as hidden as I would like to be. But you wouldn't believe how unhidden you will become with all the (laughs) listeners of this thing. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us today. Real gift to me. 
and I'm sure to all the listeners and so grateful for your life. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm thankful, Jason, that you're trying to strengthen pastors particularly and in the Canadian context as well. I think it really matters. So more of the Lord's leading in that for you as well. Amen. Well, I want to say a huge thank you to Joyce for joining us for this episode. We are incredibly thankful that there are pastors like you in our nation who are serving your family, your community, and your church. Now, before we say goodbye, I want to thank a few different people who helped us shape this episode. I want to say thank you to Josh Thompson for arranging and organizing the conversation and Daniel Rowe for your technical support. I want to say a big thank you to Anne Miranda for helping us host the call with Joyce Jason for facilitating the conversation, and to Will Lee for your help producing the episode. It is a great, great joy for our team to serve pastors through this podcast and conversations like these, and through our other gatherings, cohorts, and ways that we resource. Now, what you might not know is that though we have incredible partner organizations like Compassion, Generis, and the Canadian Bible Society, who you heard from earlier, a lot of what we do at CCLN is only possible because of individuals like you and churches who have decided to partner with us in our mission to come alongside pastors. So if you've benefited from our work at CCLN in some way, and you want to be a part of that group of regular givers, please consider heading to cclnca partner to find out more about what that could look like for you to join us in our mission to serve, love, and equip pastors across Canada. A regular gift of $10 or $20, $50 a month can go a long way in helping us see a hopeful future for the church in Canada. Okay, thanks for joining us for this week's episode. We hope you feel inspired to continue to faithfully serve where Jesus has you today. Bye for now.